to the Cultivate Podcast. My name is Michaela Marie Manu of Ink and Presco. And I'm Shasta Bell of Shasta Bell Calligraphy. So tonight, guys, we're really excited about this <laughs> podcast. <laughs> we're getting into it. If you haven't been able to tell by now, we're very passionate about education. And it's so fun because I really do feel like this podcast is honestly an opportunity to just teach you everything I wish I would have known when I first started my business. Work through like stressed over the years and figured out (laughs) everything we've sobbed about. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Sent emergency SOS texts about. (laughs) Exactly. And What's fun is that we really do have the opportunity to like deep dive into so many different topics. You know, we have some really exciting episodes planned all about contracts, like project management systems, Mm -hmm. how to build a proposal, everything. But before we can dive into those topics specifically, we want to give ourselves a little bit of an overview, a roadmap, kind of a spark notes, like summary of all of that goodness to come, just so that we have a little bit more of a framework. a framework. Yeah, that's a really good way to put it. We we know where we're going with all of this. And so we can really deep dive into every single specific topic. And if you've taken either of our cultivated courses, you know that we don't like to leave anything behind. So the overview that we're going through is basically the back end of your business. It is a a guide to our client process. So you have things you want to sell. Well, how are you going to do that? What do you do next? You have people interested in your work. Then what? So we've taken some notes and laid out like some basic categories that our process falls into. There are a couple different steps that are pretty standard to every inquiry process. What do you do after that? And then what do you do after booking? That sort of thing. This is something that I show my clients. Um, actually, I show them in like a very uh, sweet little, um, what do you call it? Icon form, iconography, to show them all the steps along the way that once they they inquire all the way to when I mail their suites. These are all the steps that I'm going to take you through and Mikhail is going to take you through. Uh, it's just It's something that I go through with anyone who wants to have a mentor call with me. We just go start to finish. This is what it is. And there's a little bit that I don't show the client, which you need to know as a vendor, like payment stuff, all that backups, backend stuff. So we we really just want you to understand this framework for which for how we run our businesses. And then, like Michaela said, we're going to go on a deep dive on each one of these categories. Yeah, exactly like Shasta said. And what I think is really fun is that there's obviously a lot of overlay between how Shasta and I format our whole process. But then we also have our own personal flair, which I think will be fun because, you know, there are steps that you have to take, but there's also ways that you can differentiate yourself and add in your personal take and kind of almost your personality on it too and so I'm excited to talk about all of the ways that we do things differently as well as just kind of like standard practice now before we get started I have a question for you that's just kind of like an icebreaker are you working anything that on anything that you're excited about right now like any fun projects we both came out of maternity leave now we're starting to work a bit more tell me what's going on 
Yes. So I have a couple that I'm really excited about. And I've actually been wanting to ask you this question because I know that you're very excited about one of your projects that you were texting me earlier. (laughs) (laughs) But I have kind of been thinking about all of the different ways that I want to almost re-enter the market, kind of coming out of a maternity leave. I think having a baby, it just kind of naturally puts you into this mindset of just like it may like you kind of almost reevaluate all aspects of your life and you kind of like go through truly like it's almost like a a massive rebrand like I have (laughs) cleansed 70% of my closet because I'm like what I want to wear is so different too so bad Yes, yeah. I've been like sh- looking for dresses that are like, okay, what can I wear that's like really easy to put on yes. and doesn't get stained so bad and like none of these things work. <laughs> oh, totally. Like before having a baby, I was like such a short dress person and now I'm like, okay, Maxi, yeah. dress has to be midi length because <laughs> you're bending over all the time. Mm-hmm. It has to like... I don't know like I hate things touching my arm so I'm like and and I live in Arizona in the summer so I'm like a camisole midi dress that looks good with sneakers pull it down for breastfeeding it has to be able to have easy access for breastfeeding (laughs) so anyways you kind of go through this like massive rebrand and so naturally I've been thinking about you know how I want to kind of rebrand ink and press for this next phase of my life and there are a couple things that I have on my mind and we can I actually feel like it would be really fun to kind of do a like an entire episode about what's next for us so I don't want to give away too much but I have been taking on a lot more custom projects and I have two custom projects this year that have been so fun and they are so different from each other one of them is like a very uh modern but vintage like Ralph Lauren aesthetic but like a very like modern typography design and we have like velvet incorporated and a very cool like vintage monogram and it is so fun. Her colors are like a cornflower blue, mustard yellow, hunter green, ivory bone. Like it's just a fun one. Mm. And then I have another one that is very, very romantic. And we're working with like an all rose mauve blush ivory mm. gold color palette. It's like it's very, very romantic. So it's very inspired by... Kind of like a William Shakespeare Midsummer's Night Dream. Mm-hmm. And you know that illustrator Arthur Rackham? Mm-hmm. It's like that very like 19, isn't it? 19, 20s? like 20s or just before, I want to say it's like the 19, early 1900s, early 20th century. Yeah. It's like that Feywild kind of, there's this book that my dad used to read me. It's called, um, I think it's called east of the sun and west of the moon or something and it just that style is it's so iconic and like not exactly eerie it's got a wildness to it i i think eerie is kind of a good word for it because it kind of has not like i don't want to say like a darker romance but it has like that victorian yeah you know kind of like like macabre a little bit like yeah uh romantic yeah it's just 
it's very like um folk folk like yes like, like those vintage fairy tale is- yes. illustrations yeah so that is the inspiration for it and I think naturally you would kind of think that we would go for like a you know navy lavender black color palette but mm-hmm. she wanted to balance kind of some of those what could be like darker illustrations with that like mauvey red pink color palette so there's like a really beautiful kind of unexpected like juxtaposition between the two mm-hmm. and the entire so we'd, we've done her save the date and it was inspired by like vintage book covers and so for her invitation suite we have some of those like vintage illustrations playing mm-hmm. into it and kind of those like antique vintage book covers and there are two totally different projects but I get so excited when it's they're like so intentional and deep yes. and like research-based pre-Raphaelite Raphaelite that's the word I was looking for Raphaelite pre-Raphaelite that's that's the style sorry that's the style yes okay oh, so what about so cool. you also ready for your subtle flex <laughs> <laughs> I can't say I don't want to say who because I want to protect like our because we're just starting our privacy but someone very cool whose um photography I just absolutely adore um I'm just such a fangirl of this photographer her style is so intertwined with mine stunning (laughs) it's so great i'm so excited she asked me to um redo her logo and if you're listening to this dear friend just know that you totally made my year we met while doing a uh photo shoot for bella bus shoes in italy at lake como in 2019 right before the world like exploded and I was a huge fan of her work before, and then we just continue our friendship, and we often admire each other's home decor, and I just get the vibe that we have very similar heraldic um, dreams, and she asked me to redo her logo, and I'm like bursting at the seams of joy and excitement, and I can't wait to deep dive and just like capture that. Okay, so the thing about my heraldry work is I'm still learning about the, the icons and the iconography and like studying a lot. A lot of the times nowadays when people create heraldic work, the lines are very clean because that's kind of what happens when you when you're in the digital age. Like it's a little bit harder to capture that like organic feeling when you're working Mm -hmm. with digital tools, as you know, as a calligrapher. Um, And a lot of times when people create heraldry now, it's like very clean. And I actually use not only my own pen, but I go in and like find antique artwork and like use the lines and the shapes that still have that like lithograph kind of feel to them yeah I was gonna say the lithograph yeah that feel and I think that's I'm really excited to incorporate that into this photographer's uh logo because I think it's going to give it even more of that rich historied uh present not present like present time but like Oh, just like feeling like you're in the moment of of medieval art kind of feel so anyways that's my exciting project <laughs> oh I'm so excited for you and this is so random but it kind of makes me think about the difference between a pre-made wax seal and one you make yourself that's a great great comparison you know like a pre-made wax seal yeah they're imperfect but also not really they're like uniformly imperfect <laughs> yes and then one that you actually make yourself like I, I did pre-made wax seals for a while and then they just they didn't have the same feel rich and so I st- yeah so I stopped doing pre-made wax seals and that's just a personal preference because you just don't get that same like drippy mess yeah exactly exactly there's just like a mm, a tangibleness to 
using art that was like made with a like a tabletop letterpress back in like the 1760 I don't know I'm picturing like okay what is that show Outlander Jamie Fraser do you have your uh-huh. watch Outlander uh-huh <laughs> <laughs> but he becomes like a, a press man like halfway through the series and I'm just picturing him like pressing things anyways um, and this yeah. is well this is kind of a geeky printer tidbit yeah so you know the movie joker with joaquin phoenix so i know it i haven't seen it but i know okay okay so the poster that they used for all of the promotional stuff and kind of like the the words that joker is written in on like like that they used for their logo yeah they actually had someone do that with a real letter press and then digitized it afterwards it's not like a font but they had an actual letterpress printmaker oh. like do all of the type do all of that and then press it because they wanted it to have that authentic feel than Yo. just being a font made to look like letterpress letters they did the actual like full process right for it isn't that kind of nerdy that is so cool oh i can see that it looks like ink uh-huh. It's got that fading to it. Hold on. Uh-huh. Isn't that cool? That's really cool. I remember seeing this, like, you can see right here, like, the surprising story behind the Joker logo. Like, it was all this whole thing. So kind of fun. But they really wanted to keep that kind of, like, gritty look for it. Do you know what I secretly would love my job to be if I wasn't doing this? I want to be... Have we talked about this? I want to be a no. prop paperwork. Like, I want to make calligraphy um hit like historic calligraphy papery for like period movies and shows like do you ever like watch like a Jane Austen yes and like like totally geek out about the papery I like want to be the person I don't know how to do that yet I still have a lot to learn but like I want to be the person that makes that stuff you want to know what I wanted to be growing up what a nail polish name person <laughs> the person who came up with the names for the different nail polish <laughs> it's like you're pretending to be mermaids in the swimming pool and then you ask each other like what do you want to be when you go <laughs> i'm like the person who comes up with the nail polish names it's like you know the color's taupe and then the name is like topeless beach <laughs> and you're like i don't know just all that for some reason i can just remember topeless beach and i'm so sorry like i know that we need to keep this g and i'm over here taking us into pg-13 line (laughs) but that's what i wanted to be shasta shasta wanted to do something cool i over i'm over here wanting to name it nail polish pg-13 nail polish (laughs) my god we're both crying oh my god okay Back on enough, topic. enough side tangent let's dive back in i have to say i really love how you you kind of named this setting up shop and then i came in and i did slash let's lay the foundation mm-hmm. so you have work where are you showcasing it we talked a little about that in the last episode you know, how to find your ideal client. We talked about ways that we can showcase our work, but there are a lot of different avenues. So why don't we just kind of get into that a little bit? So great question. Where are you showcasing your work? Where do people go to purchase it? So you have a couple of initial options, obviously a website, 
an Etsy account, Instagram, wedding fairs, all of that jazz. So let's start from the, with the first one, your website. Do you have a website, website hosting options? Let's just kind of give a quick overview. Yeah, just a quick like, I use Squarespace to advertise my work. I have always used Squarespace. Uh, actually, I take that back. I use Blogspot. Well, that's probably not even a thing. Maybe still think. Who knows? Squarespace is great. I really love the functionality. That is where my I direct all my clients to. That's where if, if you send me an Instagram message, I'm going to send you right to my website. That's because my inquiry form is on my website, and that everything in my business flows out of my inquiry form. What about yeah, you? So what do you use? Yeah, so obviously I also have a website. <laughs> That's like, you know, an obvious. And I also used Squarespace for years. I really loved Squarespace. They make it so user-friendly. Squarespace is what I first started with. Um, but I am a little bit of, I don't know, like a website nerd. Mm -hmm. And I just, I really love the whole website designing process. And so I have my own custom website that I've built through Show It. And Show It is really wonderful. They also make it really seamless. The payment process with Show It, or I sorry, the the way that you can accept like payments or sell products with a Show It website is a little bit trickier, I will admit. Uh, it's I don't think it's as I, I just don't think it's designed for online shop in the it's same way that like, like a portfolio page or like a an artist page yeah yes like I, th I think it, it has stronger like you know strengths in that area but also I'm not really like a product-based business and so doing show it is perfect for me so I use show it and I love it and show it is also what the cultivatecourse.com website was designed on as well yeah, I just I think that they're really pretty websites. <laughs> they're pretty. <laughs> I cannot tell you how many hours I spent coding my Squarespace. Yeah, your Squares, your website is really beautiful on Squarespace. Thank you. It took so long. <laughs> but I also started out on Blogspot where it was like all coding. And so like I learned You're familiar. The basics. Yeah. Which I don't recommend it. Like I if you can like do plug and play. That's way better. It's just yeah. easier. Mm -hmm. It's like I spent way too many hours on it. It was not worth the time. I mean, it is worth the time because it's really pretty, but still, it's just not not a good use of time. Right. And then as far as other website options, so you have Squarespace, you have Show It. I know Shopify is a really oh, yeah. wonderful website builder and you can do really beautiful custom websites with Shopify. And if you have a lot of products in your business, like you're doing different cards and prints or kind of like playing around with those options, mm -hmm. Shopify is also a really great option. Does Stella Wolf use Shopify? I, I want to say... I mean, I don't know. I feel like it would make sense. Yeah, I think they do. Because can you connect Shopify to another website? I feel like they use it because every time I check out, I've got a bag of ribbon in front of me. That's why I thought of it. Um, yeah, I think they do. It's great. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, and then the, obviously there are so many other website options available. Like there are some really cool like hosting platforms out there. Mm -hmm. But those are probably the big three, I would say, that are in the wedding industry. So can people purchase suites directly from your website no i am a custom quote person only me too yeah i mean it's from what i've heard from people where you can directly purchase from the website too like a custom collection 
even then there's so much back and forth and customization Mm -hmm. that happens. I just haven't had a lot of margin to invest in the time to list everything out. Cause on the back end of my website, I'd have to every single price point you have to list out. It's like almost like inventory in order to Mm -hmm. build that in your website. And that takes a lot of time. So especially when you have uh, different amounts and I prefer to have an inquiry form instead. Yeah. And I think that it's just kind of a different business model. You know, you have some people who make it so that you can shop their entire website and kind of place an order and check out. Mm -hmm. And then you have people who like to do custom inquiry forms, which Mm -hmm. I know is the case for you and I. I know for a long time that Aileen with Plume Calligraphy was a shop my website I think she's custom quotes now Mm -hmm. but for a long time you could shop her website you know people go back and forth and if you have a very standard collection and you have your processes all set out I think it can make sense to shop from your website but the work that we do is it's just so many variables it makes a lot more sense to do proposals um have you ever like have you do have a shop set up through Instagram can you like direct purchase through your Instagram you can you you can now yeah and have you have you done it I have never sold anything through an Instagram shop but I have purchased through Instagram oh yeah well like a lot <laughs> I was so we go to music class with Wilder and I was talking about this with other the music class parents and we're, we we're just talking about how Instagram like knows all my secrets and knows exactly mm-hmm. how to get me and I'm mm-hmm. not upset about it like it's actually no. very useful the things that they advertise to me oh totally I've been hesitant I I know that some stationers have like a the ability to like purchase through Instagram I haven't set it up yet I think I've tried but I'm I have some sort of issue with like the way that I formatted or like my category or something I haven't been able to figure it out because I think I would love for people to be able to click on an image of especially when I sell like cards and things every once in a while mm-hmm. I haven't been able to figure it out yeah same here so just real quick I just want to make sure we wrap off our first bullet point of many or what how many minutes into this and we're still on the first bullet point? <laughs> this is obviously why it's a multi-part series. Yep. So you can showcase your work on a website, Etsy, Instagram, or wedding fairs. We've covered website. We've covered Instagram. You can also share on Etsy. I will say I know Etsy had its huge place in the market within the wedding industry at the very beginning. I think it's kind of decreased a little bit but there is a not the luxury market it's more of a kind of like build yourself yes with like different I bought my wedding stuff on Etsy like what my wedding budget would have fit Etsy yes so there's like a huge you know very important space that Etsy occupies and then wedding fairs I personally don't have much experience with wedding fairs We'll just say that it's an option and then mm-hmm. just like continue forth on the things that we do know <laughs> and the <laughs> yeah. stuff that we can talk about. So like Shasta said, there are different ways that you can propose your work. You can do a shop or you can do custom inquiries. Mm-hmm. And that is how Shasta and I both have our website set up and just real quick the philosophy behind that at least on my end is that yes even if you're doing a semi-custom design 
it's all still so custom to the client as far Mm -hmm. as their paper, their print method, the different embellishments we want to do, the different like quantities that they might need. You know, you might be doing a rehearsal dinner where you only need 30 of those instead of 50. So there, to me, there are so many moving parts that affect your quote. And quite frankly, I feel like so many couples, this is obviously hopefully their first time doing this. Mm -hmm. And so they don't know how to build out a proposal online. And Mm -hmm. so when I was considering setting up my website of doing a shop or a inquiry type process, I opted for the inquiries just knowing that I would better be able to serve and and educate. Yeah, and provide a little bit more of like a custom experience. But with the shop, that's also a really wonderful format because it gives couples information on your pricing up front and with an inquiry type process there are a lot of emails back and forth and there is work that is put into the process without any guarantee of someone booking that is so a there are, really great point yeah so there are different pros and cons to each just because shasta and i do the inquiry format does not mean that it's the better format yeah it might not be the fit for you yeah like I'm pretty sure Aileen switched from a shop to a inquiry format maybe a year and a half ago. Because mm-hmm. it was when she was asking us about Dubsado. Yeah. And that was like, about a year ago. Yeah, you, you can add us, Aileen. You just, <laughs> <laughs> just, <laughs> just like, guys, like, stop talking about yeah. me. <laughs> and I, yeah, and I feel like I love what you said because there's, there's a lot of strategy that goes into this. So if you're doing a shop-style website... You are weeding out like a million people before you even speak to them. And that can be a very good thing. Yes. Because we often don't get that. And we have other tactics to really hone and attract the client. So attracting your ideal client isn't just about posting work they like. It's also about your process and like Mm -hmm. what they're looking for. So some brides and grooms want to do it themselves. They want to be independent. Getting on a phone call, sending an email is just intimidating for them. That's not their style. They want to go to a website and click and be done. Now for me and for Mikayla, we have a lot more people coming to us and some of them they're maybe not our ideal client hopefully we've weeded it down to like our ideal client is approaching us but sometimes we get a lot of inquiries or I used to where like they're just not the right fit but we still have to interact and and input some of that um, energy out and you do things like post like a minimum or like a budget range so that they kind of have an idea the benefit of that though is when you do get your ideal clients inquiring inquiring with you you really get to hold their hand and walk them through and so you get mm-hmm. to answer questions it is a little bit difficult for me if I were to have a full shop what I think one of the reasons I decided not to do this is even if it's a semi-custom collection like you were saying there's so many variables and everyone always wants to change something that's not available in the cookie cutter package that you offer. So even if someone wants something that's basic, one, they're going to have a million questions. And unless you've done a really great job of explaining all that on your website, they're going to contact you anyways. And two, 
they might want something that they don't see on your website. And so with the inquiry process, that just allows me to hop on a phone call with them or do an email sesh and just answer those questions right away instead of trying to predict or FAQ the snot out of my uh, website shop trying to anticipate what people's questions are going to be. Mm -hmm. And I do think that it also comes down to your personality because you and I are a lot more extroverted and I want to hop on a call. Yes. I want to hear from you. And I know Aileen is a little bit more reserved and she's just more of a like introvert in that regard. And mm -hmm. she's also extremely busy. So for mm -hmm. her, she's like hopping on a call is not a great use of her time. Yeah, not as great of a use of her time when she has like so many other wonderful projects she's working on. And so if you don't want to hop on a call, like, I think that there's something to be said about in our like, <laughs> you and I are always sending each other voice messages. And yep. I will like, I will send I will send like Aileen a voice message. And then she texts me back. Yeah. And I'm like, <laughs> yep. I'm like, just send me a voice message. And she's like, I just don't like talking. Yeah, exactly. Everyone's personality is different. Do you find that your like closest friends are introverts, even though you're I'm always uh -huh. like extrovert of the group and like, plus friends. I feel like my joke is I'm like, I'm sorry, I'm talking at you. <laughs> it's really nice to be sometimes though with like another extrovert friend. It's like, oh, hey, fish, another fish like me. <laughs> yeah. So doing an online shop it has a lot of benefits. And I think like Shasta said, it can, I think of a funnel. Yes. And that just creates a really great funnel of being able to sort out clients right away. Mm -hmm. You know, I still get email emails, even though I have like minimums and everything of like people emailing me and they'll say like, here's my project. Here's everything that I want. And then on the budget, they'll say their budget is like $500 or they'll send yeah. me just like a general email in the contact form. And they're like, I don't know if you can make this work. We really love mm -hmm. this, but can you do it for $200? And I would like to think that I'm a, a good person at my heart. So I'm not going to ignore those emails. I'm still no, going to email them back. Them. Yeah. And I'll point either direction. Exactly. I'll like point them if, if their budget doesn't quite align with mine, I'll pass on a referral for someone who I feel like is a good fit. Mm -hmm. If they're asking me for something, you know, I might even just refer them to like creative market or Etsy or like another yes. just different or, hey, you like this part of my work. I can offer a crest for X amount of money. That seems to fit in your budget. Is that something you're interested in? Yeah. So that format does require more work because you have to weed them out yourself. But with an online shop, they kind of weed themselves out if they recognize that they're not the right fit. So again, not one is better than the other. They're just different and they each have their strengths and then they each have their cons. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So let's kind of talk about inquiries because that's what we know the most. Just kind of where does the client process begin? It's with inquiries. I mean, technically it's with them seeing your work on your website on Etsy, if that's what you do, on Instagram, if you're showcasing your work there. But what happens when they're interested in your work? Where do they go? For us, they go to inquiry forms. So this is a single point of entry for me. All of my clients, I funnel here. Like we were saying, if you send me an Instagram message, I send you to my inquiry form. If you call me, I send you to my inquiry form. And the reason I do that is because that triggers 
it's connected to my project management tool, which I used Upsado and so do you. And from there, everything flows smoothly. Otherwise, it's just completely unmanageable to me. I am not a naturally organized person. This is a skill that I've had to work on deeply. It is the biggest growth area in my business is staying organized. I am classic type B artist. I am like, let's create pretty things. And oh, that's shiny. And that does not work when you're running a business. You absolutely have to stay organized. So the thing that I used to do before I started using Dubsado was I kind of had my own process behind the scenes. I had a collection of forms that I would email, some template emails. Everything was very scattered. I used Trello for a bit. I used the a kind of uh, MacGyvered Squarespace into creating like a portal where I posted things to my for my clients. But I it was, did that too. Yeah. And I have to just, I just have to stop you real quick because I was using Squarespace at the time. And I think that this is when Instagram started doing lives for the very first time back in 2017, Shasta. And I don't know if we've talked about this. You posted your entire Squarespace portal that you would, like you said, MacGyver. Yes. (laughs) And I watched it and I was like, that's brilliant. And so I started doing the same thing. (laughs) And it's and it so was fine until it wasn't. But it was a lot of work. It was so much work. But oh you you were like basically creating a project management system through Squarespace. Squarespace. And that's lovely until you're like, I don't have time for this. And look, there's a product someone else made that I can buy that does this for me. Let's do that exactly. instead. Enter Dubsado. I did explore HoneyBook and we don't need to like deep dive on this yet because that's an entire separate conversation. But HoneyBook um, was great, but it didn't quite have all the functionalities that I needed. And so it was Elizabeth of Eliza and Calligraphy who actually introduced me to Dubsado and walked me through it. I credit her with really helping me get on that bandwagon. Yes. And like Shasta said, there are different project management systems that you can use. There's Dubsado. That's also the one that I use. There is HoneyBook. There's IL Planner. There's 17 Hats. You could even use something like Trello. But for mm-hmm. me, Dubsado works the best. I think for most in the stationary kind of industry, it works the best. I think IL Planner is obviously a little bit more targeted towards wedding planners. That's I what think I used HoneyBook... to plan my wedding. IL Planner. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And then there's HoneyBook, but I think that HoneyBook targets a little bit more to photographers. So they they have their different strengths there, but I also use Dubsado. And I'm the same way as Shasta. If you email me, inquire via a DM, anything, I will direct you to the inquiry form on my website. And that's because it puts all of the data into one central location. And then it also collects the information that I need from you that you might not initially think of. Mm-hmm. So if you send me an email, you might think that you're including everything in the email that I need to know, but you might forget to tell me, you know, oh, I also need to save the date or I also need this quantity. And so the inquiry form is very detailed and it gets exactly from you what I need to create an accurate proposal for you to be able to review mm-hmm. i i am the same way my inquiry form used to be like even more detailed than it, than it is now and i pared it down and i'm glad i used to like include like what colors are you interested in and all these things until i realized i just need to get the information that's going to affect pricing because that's going to affect 
how I prep your proposal. Mm-hmm. Now, I actually have one step after, right after this, before I get to a proposal, I have, and I, I wonder if you do too, I really like to have phone calls. I find that um, a consultation call after someone submits an inquiry is really helpful because people who are serious about booking me booking with me will schedule a consult call or more often than not if they're not comfortable with the call they'll um, ask to just do email back and forth and that's fine I very rarely will have someone say that they don't like talking on the phone although I wonder if that's going to become more common with uh, younger generations because I know it's just not people just aren't as comfortable on the phone anyways because proposals can take a while. So for me, my next step in really honing in on my target client is someone who's serious. And I used to spend a lot of time prepping proposals for people who would ghost me and not reply. And that's like an hour or so out of my day that I can't get back and that person's not interested in booking with me, which I can't control. And that's fine that they do that. But a consult call so often those people book with me. If we have a conversation, I can connect with them. They can hear my personality. I can understand their story. And then I, I honestly don't think I've had a consult call in the last year or so where they haven't booked. Yeah, I love that. That is totally something I'm going to incorporate in my own business because I'm not doing that every single time. But anytime I tell Kaisen, if I can get them on a call with me, they typically book because you're offering that comfort and reassurance before Mm -hmm. they make a large financial investment. Mm -hmm. So with a consult call, I typically don't. Okay, let me let me backtrack for a little bit. So when I receive an inquiry, my inquiry form is somewhat detailed. I do want to pare it down. And that is something that I've kind of been looking at. I have a I have a list of all of these little like housekeeping items that I want to do for my business. And that is one of them. Uh Um, But the inquiry form that I have right now, it asks, you know, your quantity. It asks like your wedding date and then kind of like a general overview of like what paper items are you interested in? And then if there's anything that they're specifically looking for, like calligraphy, vintage stamps, wax seals, please let me know. Yeah. The bells and whistles that you are going to include in their proposal. Totally. And then I will receive that and I will create their quote proposal. And I do create their pricing before hopping on a consultation call with the exception of a custom design invitation suite. Yeah, those require a lot more information. Yeah, but with the semi-custom, I will go ahead and I will create their quote proposal because I know that they kind of want pricing information up front. And then I have found that with a semi-custom design, when I email it to them and I have pricing for them to review, I will offer to hop on a call and and I kind of place the importance of hopping on a, a consultation call for all of the reasons that you said and more. Mm-hmm. But for me, with the semi-custom, I found that it's easier to have pricing in front of us so that we have a framework you know, to be able to review and kind of like a jumping board for us to work from. Mm. With a custom design, I have found that doing a consultation call so that honestly, the whole goal of the proposal is to provide accurate pricing up front. And with a custom designed project where you're you don't know so many personal details, you're like just shooting the wind. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I had someone I had a consult today ask me, oh, I'm really excited. I hope I hope we get to work together. She's getting married in Maui, but it's like a beautiful handmade paper. Is it Haiku Mills? Because she's getting married at? 
Uh, no, no, it's Hotel Wailea. Wailea yeah. in Maui. Anyways, um, and it's in the backyard or not backyard. It's like out back. And I think it's by the ocean. And there are like beautiful tables with white umbrellas and uh string lights and it i think oh, like late night beautiful. paris cafe but like in hawaii it's gonna be gorgeous so anyways um what was i even talking about I got so oh you were talking like, about her custom project <laughs> oh yeah and she asked me for like a price range and i was like i i mean i said this more eloquently but i was like i can't tell you like we got so many variables going on like i need a hot second to like ingest like digest what we've talked about and then prepare a proposal for you based on that and like i gave her a range but it i mean it was like a couple thousand dollar range so it really depends mm-hmm. on what they choose i mean if they choose vintage stamps we're talking like a couple grand sometimes so that's, yeah, yeah. But I love what you said about doing a consult up front because with my custom projects, when I do that consultation and can provide them with a quote proposal that's accurate to what they're actually interested in, the success rate of that is much, much higher. Yes. But I, like I said at the beginning of this podcast, that is something that I'm working on with the new direction that I want to take Ink and Press, which I think would still be a fun like podcast episode, like all the things uh-huh. that were kind of like brewing up behind the scenes mm-hmm. or behind the scenes because kind of like refining my custom project and incorporating little steps like that is something that has been really fun to kind of revamp and yeah, kind of and think about intentionally why you do what you do. I think it means that one of the things that the reasons I do a consult call after an inquiry form is a phrase that you use a lot, which is like a high touch experience, but I pull it from actually being a photographer and learning from other photographers at I want to be able to as soon as a person submits their inquiry immediately send them an email or within the next day send them an email and I can't do that if I have to prep a proposal first because I'm a slow proposal prepper it can take me like a week to do it like it just especially with a child like it just takes a little bit of time and so for me, I want to be able to connect with them right away and say, hey, I got your email. I'm like, I'm here. Like, I am responsive to you. So let's hop on a call and just tell me about who you are. And I want to know your experience. I want to be able to have like that, that warm relationship with you. And as a photographer, that is my goal too. Because a lot of times when people are looking for stationers, but especially photographers, they cast a wide net. And it's the first person who can respond to them that often is the one that they work with if they mesh well. And I find that if I borrow that philosophy fully, excuse me, if I borrow that philosophy and apply it to stationary, I've just had so much success. And it's so easy for me. I literally have a form email that I can personalize for each person in my project management tool. So as soon as the inquiry comes in, I go and look at the inquiry and I decide if I want to take it on or not, if I'm available or not, if it's the right style or not. And then I can click, hey, do you want to schedule a consult call? And then up up pops my calendar for them and they can choose what time they want to and we're already on our way. And that gives me time to connect with them and also time to properly and precisely prep that proposal once we've had that conversation. Two things that you said that I absolutely love. So one, casting a wide net. That is so true. Couples are inquiring, at least with stationers, with probably like two or three that they've narrowed it down to. And so 
time is of the essence there. That is number two. You have to be quick to respond. And the wonderful thing about Deb Sato is that you can set up what they call their workflow. Oh, where when you are everything. Everything. So when you receive an inquiry, it will automatically trigger the next step in the workflow. So for me, I have it set up when I receive an inquiry, it automatically triggers the workflow and sends them back a like a confirmation email. Yes. And then I can go back in and see their project, see their inquiry. And then from there, I can either accept or decline. And if it accepts, it triggers the next step in that it's workflow. It's like a flowchart. Like if this, then that. If if you want to take on the project, for me, it'll then trigger a call, a scheduling email that gets sent out. And if I don't want to, I have a declining email and it has a list of other stationers who I think would be a good fit. And I can go on and I... edit and tailor it. Yeah, so Dubsado is really powerful in that regard. And again, we'll have a whole episode about Dubsado. This is that the overview, lay the foundation episode so that we can like go back <laughs> in and talk about these things specifically and you kind of know where we're, you know, where we're going in the end. But I just think that if you can respond in a timely manner, then your higher your chances of booking that project are much higher because these couples, when they're planning a wedding, they have so many things on their to-do list. They kind of just want to check things off. Yes. And they've narrowed it down to like three people that they like. So at that point, it's just like, all right, this person is prompt. They're kind. Their style aligns. Let's go for it. Let's mm -hmm. get that one taken care of. Mm -hmm. And I am, like I said, organization is like the, the growth area in my business. I used to take so long getting back to people because I thought I had to have all my ducks in a row and being able to just send a scheduler and have them select something. It much more aligns with my style of work and my personality, which is very relational. So I don't have to spend a bunch of time upfront before they even know that I exist or like that I have a heartbeat and I'm, I'm reading their email. I'm able to send something off right away because otherwise I just spend too much time in the weeds and the details without even really knowing if they're going to book with me. And I feel so much more secure after sending that email. And like I said, it's not for everyone, but for my personality, it just works. I just feel like I'm going to have such a better relationship with them. And then I can show up for them in that proposal with what we talked about. And I didn't spend three weeks trying to get through everything and trying to email them. So now it's, it's much quicker and much more. You didn't spend three weeks only to find out that they've already accepted the proposal of someone who responded within 48 hours. Yes, exactly. Oh my goodness. Just, it just eliminated that ghosting rate too. It just, it was everything. So, I mean, like, I think it was a photographer who told me they do that for their, their business. And I thought, yeah. And I was just going to say, and that's kind of the fun thing because I'm having like a light bulb moment because I do that with my custom projects, but I don't do it with my semi-custom projects. And yeah. so I'm over here thinking like, why have I not done that before? And it's fun because I'm growing and learning from you. And so watch, I'm going to now incorporate doing yeah. consultation calls. <laughs> and I love that you're using the calendar aspect because that's something with Dopsetto that I really haven't tapped into, but I know is so cool and so powerful. It integrates with iCal, so it shows up on my phone. I love integration. It's awesome. Um, amazing. Amazing. <laughs> I love that. Okay, so when you receive an inquiry, you have to decide 
is this project right for me or is this project better for somebody else Mm -hmm. that's how we'll phrase it is it the right fit for me or is it better for someone else so are you going to accept the project or will you be declining the project Mm-hmm. What's your process there? I'm thinking back to when I first started. I just had a memory. I used to feel really guilty for not accepting projects. I used to think I had to accept every single project. And that was a hot mess. That was a disaster. That was not serving myself or other people well. So there are a couple of things that I I now use it as a criteria. It's really a quick decision because I collect so much of that information in the inquiry form. I look at how many suites they want, when they're getting married, where they're getting married. Sometimes I consider if they have a planner or photographer because that helps me gauge. Often if I know the if I know the person or I can quickly look into them, I can understand the style better and the vibe a little bit better. I look at the I especially look at the notes they put in. I have a little open-ended note section where they can tell me anything they want about their wedding that I haven't already asked. And I look at their budget. And those are the things that I consider when deciding if I'm going to accept them or not. Uh, For me, I really love small number weddings. If you have like 50 suites or less, I'm instantly interested. I really enjoy small weddings because we can really do it up. That's fun for me. Um, My ideal quantity is... 50 but I also love 75 yeah I'm like like once you once you get over the like 100 mark I'm like oh I'm like rubbing my eyes right now (laughs) digital addressing oh if you have like over 100 and we're doing calligraphy oh man yeah yep 50 is magical yeah, it's a good number. Let's all let's let's all get married, a destination wedding somewhere, and you're inviting your close friends, and you have like this dream meal under the stars with lights. I'm like picturing it. One time I was photographing at Via Cetinale with um, Molly. I know exactly which wedding you're talking about. I yeah. knew you were going to say that wedding. <laughs> it's my. Uh, I don't. Like, you don't even need to continue because that that video that you shared on your Instagram stories where you guys are doing the bird's eye view and yeah. the orchestra is playing and there yes. are like bistro lights and everybody's in beautiful fancy dresses. Yeah. It it sounds dreamier than it, what I'm describing, or it was dreamier than what I'm was. describing. That <laughs> was, was a scene. A, that was epically gorgeous. Like I had this, I had this moment where I was driving after we'd finished the wedding and I said goodbye to Molly and her, her mom came with, it was amazing. Her mom's the best. Um, thank you, Laura, for all your wonderfulness. Um, I was driving and I was like, literally like I'm in a rom-com right now. Like I was literally scripting a rom-com in my head, driving in my cute little, it was like a convertible, almost like a bug, but it was like a Citroen. Like a something. little vintage Fiat, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Fiat, Citroen, and I think it's French, yeah. So and I'm just like, where, where's my husband? He needs to be here right now. Like I'm in a movie. Anyways, that's a little flavor, a little flavor to the story. So like, it, I really consider a lot of factors. It's not just budget. Like budget is one of the factors. If if someone selects under what is like my minimum, then um, chances are someone else is going to be a better fit for them. But if they have a really small amount, I often like to work with clients a little bit to see if maybe I'm not going to be able to make 
exactly what they're talking about, but I like their vibe and I like a lot of things about their wedding. Sometimes I will be able to propose something a little bit different, but it's right up their alley because a lot of brides and grooms and, and couples just don't know what to expect. And maybe they list something for their budget, but they have more in their budget. They just aren't sure what to spend. And so I, it's it's not an exact science. It's kind of an art gauging uh, what which clients to accept and which to to uh, refer out. But what about you? Is there anything that you do that's a little different? No, that's pretty much similar to mine. And I love what you said about, you know, talking to them and kind of informing them about maybe ways that you can make it work. Because mm-hmm. I and I, I think I'm totally fine to do this. I know not everybody does this. I know some people are kind of like an all or nothing when it comes to embellishments. But for me, if you're having a large wedding, I think I do a lot of large wedding quantities. Some of the ones you mentioned have just blown my mind. What was like 700 ones? I did one that they sent out 750 invitations. Wow. That is out of this world. Yes, I know. Her and her wedding invitations, she had like two times listed. So they're like, let's say it was a five hour event. They had the first wave that could come for like these two hours. And then they had like a 30 minute overlapping period. And then there were the second group of people who could come the last two hours. And they just like redid the wedding. But it was like all the same day. Wow. So I do some crazy quantities. And so for me, even quantities of 150, which I know is like a very normal amount to send out, Mm -hmm. 150 vintage stamps is 1,200 to $2,000. That is Mm -hmm. so much money. Mm -hmm. And so I have no problem doing a smaller quantity of some of those like bigger budget embellishments for their VIP invitations for those who are doing like a rehearsal dinner. Mm -hmm. So you have like, I'm doing one right now where we're sending out 125 invitations, but there are 40 guests who are invited to a rehearsal dinner and then like a farewell soiree the day Mm -hmm. after their wedding. And so those 40 invitations receive vintage stamps. And for me, I have no problem special. doing that. Yeah, I'm like, yeah, let's for sure curate. If you're doing five, then that doesn't really make it worth it. But mm-hmm. if you're doing a special 40, then I have no problem adding in a few embellishments for those 40 invitations. Mm-hmm. But in an inquiry form, guests don't necessarily know that, which is why I love being able to kind of work with my couples to be able to customize and further personalize those proposals specific to them and their needs and propose some of those kind of like middle ground options that are available that they're not necessarily aware of. Yeah. So if they're not a perfect match based on the inquiry form, that doesn't mean you have to reject them. E- over time, you gain an experience to understand, okay, this actually has some potential. I'm willing to do a call or I'm willing to do a proposal because I think mm-hmm. we can propose something that actually is going to work and achieve what they want. And it might not look exactly how they requested, but it is still going to be beautiful. And I think I've gained a lot of confidence too, knowing like what I charge and what I do is not unreasonable. And so if they can't afford what I do, I'm not going to like change my pricing, but I am going to change what I can offer in the value that I that I mm-hmm. offer. 
Oh my goodness, yes, I fully agree with that. So when you accept a project, that's kind of like a general overview. But what are you going to do when you decline a project? Mm. For me, it's, again, going through the quote inquiry, kind of seeing the different things that they're interested in, what's their budget, what's their style, what's their quantity, what are they looking for, what's their design kind of interests, Mm -hmm. and then from there making that decision. And I will say it is perfectly okay to refuse a project with someone that you don't think is going to be a good fit for you, no matter what that reason is, just as long as you aren't, like you said here, like discriminating based on any federal or local laws. Yeah. Don't discriminate Um, based on their protected class and just use like good ethics sense. Yeah, for sure. So I used to get so worked up over refusing clients. I used to feel like I had to explain so much. Sometimes I could just kind of tell that we weren't going to be a good fit based on our conversation. And a polite way for me to say that is just, I'm not available for your project. You don't need to over explain. You do not owe the client your time. They have so many amazing options out there. It doesn't have to be you. And so... One of the things I just really appreciate learning and maturing in my business is what's that phrase? Like, don't complain, don't explain, or I forgot what it is. It's like a nicer version of that. It's just like, I'm not going to um, get into the weeds with them about why I can't accept it. I just know that someone else can serve them better and I wish them well. And one of the great things you can do to wish them well is give them referrals. I think that's such a huge, it just helps them. It's like providing them the next step. And I have a, uh, a living list. So I edited a lot of people who I refer out to. And my guess is you do the same. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And kind of, you know, going back just a little bit, something that you said that I love, no is a perfectly good answer. Yeah. You don't have to explain yourself. You can just say, you know, I don't have the availability to take this project on, but here are some referrals that you know, I would highly recommend and you would be in excellent hands working with. Mm -hmm. So you are free to decline a project if you don't feel like it is the right match for you. Mm. Now, what do you do? And I bring this up because I had this happen a couple of weeks ago, maybe a month ago. Yeah. And I've been waiting to share here on the Cultivate podcast because there is a scenario when you're declining a project, it's because you don't want it. And then there's obviously the scenario where I guess you could say they don't want you. (laughs) (laughs) But then there's also the third scenario where you want it, but you know you shouldn't. (laughs) I was just going to ask about this. I was like... Now, it's important to choose projects wisely. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And that is what happened to me last month. And I wanted to share because, like, I will toot my own horn here. I feel like I handled this situation perfectly. And I feel like more people should do this. Tell me more. So, I was a model example (laughs) (laughs) wait did you share this in our I feel like did you share this with me before or is this totally I don't know if I did I think you might have okay but keep going okay I know what you're talking about and you handled it aces so there was this wedding planning team that I worked with last year they're based out of Italy and we had the 
best experience working together. Mm-hmm. I loved working with them. They were so respectful. They gave me the creative freedom. We created a incredible custom design for a bride getting married in Lake mm-hmm. Como. It was just like the best experience. Mm-hmm. So they reached out to me again for another one of their clients. Repeat client. Yeah. And I obviously was beyond excited. They gave me all of the information and their inquiry form. They're having like a pre-wedding celebration at this incredible hotel. Then they have like a garden pool party and then they have a wedding day celebration and then like a farewell soiree and like wow, a this is the works. sailing situation going oh, on. Stop. What? And then everything is described as like a chic, elegant, luxury affair. And they're inviting 40 guests. Like, oh my gosh, I think I just died. I had a physical reaction to that. That's They could not have, you know, said anything. They couldn't have added anything that would make me want this project more. Okay. Oh, and by the way, like, um... Uh, George Clooney is stopping by because he right? is, yeah they're just you know his wife are just nearby and they're come by yeah and so they send me this like inquiry and I receive it and I'm like thank you so much again for thinking of me I would be honored to be part of this vendor team I would love to work with you guys again and I gave them information on pricing and they said looks great and then I said but, you know, before I, cre- I create a formal quote proposal, can you just give me kind of an idea of your aesthetic? And this is something that, again, we will dive into a later episode. But when I create my proposals, um, some people, when they create their proposals, they will do like a mock-up of what they're quoting for. Mm-hmm. For me... I tend to just do a kind of mood board that will be guiding our overall direction. I have found that unless we're doing something custom and we've had a phone call and we've talked more about these details, then I will do a Mm mock-up. But if it's just kind of... Yeah, if it's it's just... We've had a conversation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But if you're just kind of needing to get general pricing from me, Mm -hmm. just again, so we have that jumping board to work from then I'm just going to do a mood board especially with planners a call isn't always really necessary especially if it's a plan mm-hmm. you've worked with before they're usually prepared they've sent you a mood board you just need to get them pricing information because they already know your process totally that's exactly it and this was a client that I or sorry this was a wedding planner that I worked with before so I emailed them back and said hey just send me your design deck mostly so I can brainstorm some ideas and I can create a quote proposal that has some fun elements for us to include this is a custom project but let me just kind of add some of the inspiration images so I can get an idea of where your mind is at Mm -hmm. that was my main motive Mm -hmm. so I send them that email they respond back and they include the design deck. Mm-hmm. I open it up. I'm looking at all of the pictures, the overall inspiration. It's fine. It's colorful. I'm loving all of the flower inspo. I see their tablescape inspo. Do you know the name of the venue? I'm like trying to picture in, in Como. So the actual wedding was Villa Balbiano. Is that how you say it? Oh, yeah. Balbiano. Uh, Balbiano. Yeah. 
it's just fun. And then I scroll down and I get to the photo or the page that is their stationary inspo. And I think that there's space for, you know, not pulling your designs and sharing exact stationary inspiration, kind of similar to the project that I was sharing earlier that has that very like vintage fairy tale aesthetic. Mm-hmm. The inspiration for that, it was not somebody else's work. Mm-hmm. It was vintage books and like, yes, not stationary at all. It was photos of flowers it was like poems like it was the inspiration is sourced from like a creative sphere but I do think that there is space for inspiration photos because when I saw her stationary inspo that yes there are beautiful flowers and different colors and kind of like fashion elements but something that I noticed was that the stationary inspo included all images of invitation suites where it was a watercolor painted aesthetic. Yes, I remember you telling me about this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I have and an inquiry right now that's a watercolor inquiry too. It's like definitely kind of like the Stephanie Fishwick aesthetic mm-hmm. where it's very painted. And I looked at it and when I saw that, honestly, my heart Did sank. you cry? <laughs> I want to cry. <laughs> because that aesthetic is so beautiful but I'm not a master at it I can't I've tried to paint I cannot paint not in the way that a client like this deserves yeah not it would not do it justice I can do it but it's I'm not the go-to we're not the go-to for the watercolor no not at all and so I thought about it and I'm like, do I just accept this project? And I know if I send them a quote proposal, they'll email back and they'll accept me. But then I had this moment where I thought, you know what? I am not setting them up for success and I'm not Mm -hmm. setting myself up for success and neither of us are going to be happy because at the end of the day, we are not the right fit for each other. And That's so mature of you to recognize that would have been that would have taken a lot of emotional energy to to get there. Well, I was really sad about it. Yeah. <laughs> I had oh. to give myself I, re- I took like three days to respond because I yeah. saw it and I'm like, I need a day to like just be sad about it. And then I need a day to like formulate a response. And then I need a day to like feel confident in that response. <laughs> and then I can email it. Oh, that's such- and I think that's probably why I, te- I text you about this. You did. Yep. Okay, so anyways, obviously I was really reeling in my sadness. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> anyways, I get it. Mm. So I like emailed them back. Death. Like yeah. a funeral for the wedding that could have been. I was mourning my loss. Yeah. And so I emailed them back and I just said, um, I'll read out the email in summary. I said, hi there. Thank you for sending over the design deck for your couple. Everything that you've curated is absolutely stunning. In reviewing the stationary inspo, I can't say I am confident I'm the right fit for this project. The inspiration features a lot of hand-painted elements and custom watercolor painting is not a medium I am strong with. Mm -hmm. I can still do custom artwork, but my strength as an artist lies in line art and sketch style artwork. I would love to be part of this vendor team. And if you feel my style of artistry would be a good fit, then I would love to send over a quote for this project. You can see 
see more of my personal style and artistry here. And then I linked my Instagram. Mm -hmm. And then I said, more importantly, I want to make sure your couple is happy with their paper goods and what is created matches their vision. If they want to stick with the original painted inspiration, I would recommend reaching out to, and then I recommended Diane with mm-hmm. My Lady Die. Mm-hmm. She is an incredible calligrapher and painter and would be an excellent fit for this type of project. Your couple would be in wonderful hands working with her. You can see her work here. And then I linked mm-hmm. Diane's website and I said, let me know. Thank you. They responded back and were like, thank you so much for the information. We will be contacting Diane. Have a wonderful day. And I am like, I'm so bummed because I so badly wanted them to come back and say to me that they liked my work and that I was the right fit, you know. But I'm not going to force a peg into a square hole because I won't be the right fit. And it's going to be, you know, a terrible experience for both of us. And I think so often we're like, oh, watch out for red flags. And the red flag can be like, oh, scary, awful, bad thing. But a red flag can also just be like gently waving. And it's not like a scary thing. but It's just like waving. And it's just like, you know what? The inspiration isn't your work and your style. You're not going to be the right fit. So it's better if you refer them to somebody who will be the right fit for that project. Oh, that's beautiful example. Thank you for sharing that, Michaela. That is, you nailed that. Like that takes a a large amount of experience and maturity to see that flag waving and to accept that it's wa- waving. And yeah, I, I wanted like, it oh, to be a white flag or a green yeah. flag, but not a red one. <laughs> not a red one. And that takes courage. And if you've ever said yes to a project you shouldn't, you regret it. It's such a poor experience. You, I, I tend to do it a little bit more when it comes to logos. I ignore red flags when it comes to logos um, because I wasn't, I'm not as experienced um, with certain kinds of logos and clients when I was starting. Mm-hmm. Um, and there have been a couple experiences where I was like, oh, I just, we are too far down this road, but I really should have said no, because I don't think I can deliver what it is that you want. Now, sometimes clients change what they want halfway through the process. That's not your fault. But you saw from the beginning that this is probably not going to be the right fit. And side note, Diane, do you remember those cookies that I got with someone? Yes. Yeah. That was from Diane. It was, well, it was from someone she had hired to paint the cookies and there was, and I have a little, I have a kitty cookie still sitting up here. It's really sweet. Yeah. And then I just want to kind of come back because you mentioned that you have a living list of stationers (laughs) that you recommend. I do too. And I have a massive list, but I will. So I have a big list that's kind of like the default response form with like recommendations, but -hmm. then I'll go through and I'll delete some of them depending on their style. Yeah. You know, and Typically, I, I like to recommend around three, but, you know, on my list, I have maybe like eight that I kind yeah. of like, I like to recommend and they are genuine recommendations. They are people who, they are, they are stationers in the industry who I admire or trust or trust because I'm not going to pass forward a recommendation that I cannot stand behind. Mm-hmm. And sometimes if I can just know very clearly who would be a perfect fit for that project that isn't me, for example, like for example, this past example, you knew exactly. I just knew, 
I knew Diane would be the right fit. I the calligraphy kind of painted in the inspiration had that very whimsical aesthetic that Diane is known for. Mm -hmm. And so I was more than happy to just say, go to her. And I, I'm not sure if they've booked or what's happened there. Um, but that, you know, when I was listening to our past episode, kind of getting it prepared to launch, we talked about finding and attracting your ideal client. And we mentioned briefly about how if you're a second rate version of someone, then you only receive their second rate clients and Mm -hmm. inquiries. Mm -hmm. And if you have your own personal aesthetic and you have your unique style, then you have the support of calligraphers and stationers and artists who have are equal like value and experience and Mm -hmm. profession and you stand by each other's side and diana is someone who we have very different aesthetics but i want to support her business and i want her to grow and i want her to like be Mm -hmm. successful and i have like i'm so happy to refer someone to her because we just there's there's space in the market for people to have very different aesthetics, mm-hmm. but I'm not going to refer the girl on my station on who's my been like, ripping, list, ripping you who's off. Been ripping me off. Yeah, you know, like yeah, I'm not going. I to would be refer like, oh. rather. I would instead refer you because you have your own style and it's similar in the similar vein to mine, but it's and different enough that it has its own integrity and its own clientele and say I can't take on a project because I am giving birth or I already have a project that time. (laughs) Well, I kind of laughed that we were referring each other to different (laughs) projects when we were both (laughs) pregnant, but we both hadn't told each other yet. And you emailed me or you texted me and you said, hey, just so you're aware, I have been referring all of my clients to you that I can't accept because I'm pregnant. And You're I like, emailed back and I said, LOL. well, just so you're aware, I am also pregnant and have been referring everybody to you. <laughs> oh, whoops. <laughs> and then we just, you know, send them off to Aileen and Michaela and all of our other, you know, close friends. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, all right, Michaela. All right, Aileen, here you guys go. I hope you guys want these people just coming from Shasta and I. Uh, yep. <laughs> but yeah, no, it's so true. I'm not going to refer someone who's ripping me off. Yeah. And I'm going to refer someone who has like a respected individual style that mm. I love. And if I know that they're going to be, I don't want to be the stationer who so badly wanted to work with a wedding planner. And then I connect that wedding planner with the stationer who made their life hell. Like I'm not going yeah. to do that. No, absolutely not. And we, that doesn't mean like we don't refer people who are like, newer in the industry. I absolutely refer people who are newer in the, in the industry than me. It doesn't have to be someone who's like, you know, got way more years of experience, but it's someone who's shown integrity and it's someone who's shown yes. a willingness to grow and work with people mm-hmm. and who, when they make mistakes, they can apologize. It's just like someone who's a good human or who, you know, I can trust. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that's so true because if there's someone who has like a massive budget and wants 25 invitation suites and I for some reason can't take them on I think this is a really great fit for Shasta I'm going to prefer Shasta and I do refer you we refer each other on each other all the time yeah absolutely if there is a project where their budget maybe doesn't quite reach my order minimum it's close their aesthetic is really beautiful but I know that you know maybe my style is like a little bit 
at a higher cost than what they're wanting to invest, Mm -hmm. then I do recommend someone who is maybe a little bit newer in the industry Mm -hmm. and has a little bit of a lower order minimum or like Mm -hmm. a lower allocated amount that they work with. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that just becomes because they have like a starting beginner portfolio. And I feel like I'm always looking for newer stationers who, like you said, have integrity and have individual style and worth to that that mm-hmm. I'm looking to recommend. So my it's not list, about putting oh sorry, go ahead. I was gonna say my list is also a living list and mm-hmm. I love adding people to it. Like it's not set in stone. I feel like I'm constantly like zhuzhing you know it. zhuzhing it and kind of pruning and adding and growing mm-hmm. and planting and and it, it's, this was the last thing I'll say. Again, it's not about followers. It's about who you are and the type of work that you're creating. Mm-hmm. doesn't matter to me if you have 500 followers no. or 50,000 followers. It's about integrity and creativity. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm so sorry. I will shut up now. Go ahead. Don't shut up. I love that. that was, I'm here listening and soaking it up. That's so great. Um, I was going to say as a cap on, the, on what you do after someone inquires or the accepted declined, it is about the right fit. And what happens when someone has a $500 budget and I don't have anyone to refer them to? I might suggest they check out Minted or they check out some people on Etsy. And just as a quick aside, that is not a value judgment. That is just about fit. And there's a lot of really great polite ways that you can just say, hey, I don't think I'm the right fit. Or Every once in a while, especially when I was pregnant, I will offer um, a digital design. And that is not something for everyone. But every once in a while, if I'm like when I was pregnant, I wanted to bring in a little extra money because I wanted to uh, buy a uh, cordless breast pump. (laughs) And so I decided. I remember talking about it. We would text each other and we would say like, we, I just like we did the the cultivate sell yeah Yeah, we like sell a course and I'd be like we were we were both able to just buy our strollers yeah we bought our strollers (laughs) yeah Yeah, text each other and I'm like I just made enough money to buy a crib yes exactly (laughs) this is wonderful (laughs) and so it's just it just really is about finding the right fit for people and yeah so like I offered a digital design for someone it was wonderful it was the right fit for me in the right time It's not something that I offer any other time, but it was perfect. And so um, anyways, so we've got inquiries. Where do you advertise? Then inquiries. How do they ask you uh, for your design? What do you do once that happens, accept or decline? And then we talked a little bit about proposals. Is there anything else you want to get into about proposals? I feel like our episode has gone on for a while. I know it really has. I think we can just kind of briefly touch on proposals because this is also a standalone episode, Mm -hmm. but I do want to wrap up proposals with maybe one or two sentences. Mm -hmm. And that is just when you decide that they are the right fit, you can build your proposal included in your proposal. You can either do a mock-up or not. That's just dependent on, you know, the scope of the project. You can do a mood board, which is what I do most often, just so that Mm -hmm. the proposal, honestly, looks a little bit prettier than just numbers. Yeah. The mood board is not an official proof. It is just there to make it less black and white. Yeah, it kind of visually breaks it up so that it's not just a yeah a bunch of lines it's not an accounting sheet yeah exactly it makes it look like hey we're in the wedding industry not the accounting industry yeah Yeah, we we do pretty pretty things things. (laughs) uh so you can include a a mood board or like a design deck or just kind of some reference like inspo images in your proposal Mm -hmm. 
And then from there, you're able to email your proposal out. I do, as we talked earlier, kind of when Shasta and I were game planning this episode, we wanted to get up to this point because we are at a beautiful breaking kind of like pausing point for this episode. This is the point at which you have emailed your quote proposal to the client. Mm -hmm. Again, we're going to do a deep dive into quote proposals and everything later down the road. Mm -hmm. They're so juicy. Yeah. (laughs) But in part two, we are going to touch on, all right, you've emailed them a proposal. What next? What happens? So that will all come. Yes, that will all come in part two. Booking, scheduling, contracts, drafts production shipping mailing that whole overview is coming mm-hmm. part two maybe part three i don't know we're pretty long-winded individuals <laughs> <laughs> those extroverts we, this is how we get energy we just enjoy yes. talking about this so typically shasta you have a question for me but i have a fun question for you that i'm curious about i'm excited so I am finally back into some production working on invitation suites for fall and winter weddings. That's all I accepted this past year because of my maternity leave. Same for you. Mm -hmm. And so I started on or I I wrapped up my first calligraphy order of this year. It was 125 envelopes, walnut ink on smooth cotton cardstock. It was actually a joy to write. I was pretty nervous having it be my first project in over not over a year, but in about a year. And so I was pretty nervous. But as I was writing and doing all of the calligraphy, I thought to myself, I wonder how often other stationers or other calligraphers swap out their nibs when they're doing like envelope orders. And what made me think about it is And I've mentioned this before, I was a classically trained ballerina. And so people are always shocked to find that you would go through multiple pairs of point shoes during a performance. You know, like you would go through a pair of point shoes for like a dress rehearsal. And then you're like, my point shoes are dead. I need more point shoes. So like you would sometimes go through like two or three point shoes just for one single night. Wow. I did not know that. Yeah, I mean, it's all paper mache and glue, Yeah, you know, so like they're not made out of wood. People I think watched that a ballerina on YouTube cut through them and I was shocked there was no wood in there. Yeah, there's no wood. There's no cardboard. It's literally glue and fabric, like paper yeah. mache status. So they get really sweaty and just damp and then they lose their firmness. So like, yeah, so there, there are obviously moments where a stronger, firmer shoe is better. And then there are moments where you want something a little bit more broken in. And so you'll kind of like swap through. But... It made me think about nibs. How often do you switch your nib? Because as you know, the more you write, the more dull your nib gets. And how many envelopes do you do before you swap out for a fresh one? Oh, great question. I used to have a more regimented system. And it also depends on the paper type. If I have a nib that is working well on handmade paper, I will not jinx it. I will use it until I cannot use it anymore (laughs) because handmade paper is really tricky. Mm -hmm. Um, With cardstock, I so I used to teach like beginner calligraphy and I used to have a rule of like every 20 envelopes, like get a new nib because it just won't be as sharp. (laughs) And that's like not what I do now. I think I go through this is bad. I think I maybe switch it out 
once for a hundred envelopes. So about every fifty? No, like every seventy-five oh, so or something. Every- <laughs> Every like 100 envelopes, you get out yeah. of the new one. Oh, um, it depends on the style that I'm doing. too. If I'm doing my wild style, I won't really switch it out much because there's not a lot of precision in that. It's very interpretive. Mm-hmm. If I'm doing my more traditional style, which I'm working on one right now, I'll switch it out a little bit more. What about you? How often? I'm like scared. How many times do you do? No, so I fully agree with you. So if it's handmade paper, honestly, a more dull nib sometimes works better for handmade yes. paper. I have a container of all of my used nibs because sometimes a dull nib works better with handmade paper envelopes because it doesn't catch the fibers in the same way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but sometimes a pointy nib works better i think it just handmade paper is so finicky you just have to feel it out feel it out is the best way to put it but with cotton cardstock so i always start every single envelope order with a fresh nib and then the first five envelopes are kind of my warm-up envelopes so i typically go back and rewrite those uh-huh, me too. Yeah. <laughs> I kind of know that it takes me about five envelopes to get like really great yeah, and kind of like warmed up and you think that they look good, but then by like envelope, I don't know, 25, you look back at the first five and I'm you're like, like Oof. Oof. <laughs> <laughs> I need to I redo actually, those. I can't proofread my envelopes. It's too emotionally painful for me. My assistant does all the proofreading. I can't. Um, I mean, I check it when I'm done to make sure that everything looks fine, but I get yeah. really self-conscious about looking at my envelopes again. And so it, if she proofreads them, then I can Me look too. at them again, but it's tough. <laughs> Me too. I just know that I always have to rewrite the first five because mm-hmm. I don't do like warm up practices beforehand. I just dive right in. Yeah. And so it just takes me about five envelopes for my hand to get warm. So I just will go back and rewrite those. And it kind of gives me about, I need about five envelopes to get my spacing down and kind of mm-hmm. just get back Retrain into the flow of it. Yeah. But with, as far as like swapping out my nibs, Let's just say that whenever I do put on a fresh nib, I go, oh, it was looking a little chunky, wasn't it? (laughs) That's probably why I needed to ask you, because there was probably two times where I like swapped out for a fresh nib and then I compared the fresh nib envelope to the dull nib envelope. And I was like, this is looking a little chunky. And so I think it's supposed to look like, shoot. I'm like, oh, so there is a difference between the thin and thick strokes. (laughs) Oh, they're not all supposed to be thick strokes. I'm seriously dying. (laughs) That's hilarious. That's so relatable. Um, So I feel like my calligraphy is best when I swap out about every 60 envelopes. And if I'm doing Kong cardstock around 60, that was kind of when I noticed. I actually, I think I swapped three times I did I started off with a fresh nib and then around envelope 55 ish I swapped for a second nib and then it was around like maybe 107 because I remember thinking that the last 13 I wanted to kind of break that because when it's first like a first fresh nib it's a little stiff great yeah 
Yeah, yeah and there's kind of that sweet spot between like being broken in and being like too broken in. And I remember thinking when I do the bride and groom's envelope, I want my my nib to be perfect. And so I think I swapped one. for like the last. Yeah, yeah. I was like, okay, let's swap for the last ten so that my <laughs> nib is broken in. So when I do their envelope, it's it's perfect. I mean, honestly, the I don't think a lay person would notice, but as a calligrapher, I notice. Yeah. <laughs> oh, totally. We're over here planning our nib lifelines, <laughs> our nib do lifespans. You, do you ever forget to like, okay, I will like go, go through because like the distance, okay, the distance between I'm not always in production. So like, I seem to have seasons of production because people like choose Same. similar dates to like get married. So there's like, I'm just in design mode for a couple of people. And sometimes you're juggling like design and production same time so there'll be like months where i haven't like really done much addressing and i'll like not realize that i don't have any nibs left i'll like go into my little bag i'm like shoot i got one zebra left one nico like paper ink arts does that ever happen to you or you're like are, are you like yes this happened to, no this happened to me last week i had four of my I still don't know if it's Hiro or Hero. I should honestly call them and ask paper ink cards. Yeah. <laughs> and I was nervous because I was like, man, I have another calligraphy project after this one. And after this past wedding season, before I went into my maternity leave, I kind of packed up all of my studio and put it into boxes this, because I knew nursery that is in your room. Your studio. Yeah. I have a studio nursery hybrid situation mm-hmm. and I just knew for the first six months that I wouldn't be diving into production and I put everything very like organized into different boxes. Mm-hmm. And so I just didn't check how much was left. Well, like I had left. <laughs> and so when I saw that I only had like four nibs, I'm like, oh, shoot. So I actually express placed a, shipping. an express shipping order. <laughs> and I think that's what I texted you because I ordered like 20 of them. And I was like, good thing nobody else likes this nib. Yes. I'm ordering like 20 All of, of them. <laughs> and then I ordered a bunch of walnut ink and I ordered a bunch mm. of gold ink and I ordered like little pipettes to mix my ink and it was like a I need to restock on all of my supplies order because you don't go through like them that quickly and like I always when I'm ordering client supplies I'm like got my list of paper all these things that I'm like prepared to order and I kind of forget that I also need to order like nibs that's important that's gonna that's gonna come up I bulk order specific things and I also bulk order gold wax, like sealing wax. Oh, that's smart. Yeah, so you always have it. Want, so I always have it. And that was another thing that I had to check my inventory because I had to make this last little wax project or wax seal project really stretch. <laughs> and so I had to place like a massive wax seal order. And then mm. obviously there are certain things for specific clients where you custom order. But vellum paper gold sealing wax, nibs, certain calligraphy inks. I always make sure to have those adhesive glue mm-hmm. sticks. Like and I put dots on the back of my wax seals. I always have Yeah, those. backers. Yeah. yeah. There's mm-hmm. some things like that that I just always make sure I have in stock. And yeah. then, you know, if they want a different custom item, then you have to special order. Order those it. In. Yeah. yeah. But the go-tos, I make sure I always have those. And mm-hmm. I did place a emergency nib order. You know what I uh, realized this month? I don't know why I hadn't noticed it before. Probably because I, I do a lot of handmade envelopes. Not all cardstock 
envelopes are created equal. Like I know that there's a difference between thin and thick, but I've been using as Cypria. I don't remember the brand, but I got it from announcement computers. I'm in love with how smooth it is to write on this yes. brand. Do you know what brand it is? I want to say Cypria. Is it Color Plan? No, I don't think it's color plan because I didn't have a color plan swatch to match it. Do you remember when I was like sending yeah. you guys pictures of pinks? I didn't have a. Oh, I, I want to check. Are you checking right now? I yeah. do really like color plan. I actually was going to ask you this. <laughs> this is another question I had jotted down was who's your favorite envelope <laughs> warehouse? <laughs> I really I'm... love color plan because their envelopes are just thick. Like all of them Good. are thick. And there are some brands where some of their envelopes are thick and then some of them are like a 98 text weight Mm -hmm. or sorry a 68 text weight and the 68 pound is just too light for my personal preference but there are some really pretty is it woodstock brand i yeah i actually i remember seeing this when i was ordering them and i was like what's woodstock i had not heard of them before how did i get a swatch of them of cypria i don't know how i uh... um cypria is also available from cards and pockets Oh, that's why. Okay. So that's probably what you did. Yeah. Yeah. I used to be a order a lot from Cards and Pockets, and I still do when I can't get certain things. Yeah, their dusty blue is really pretty. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So we are tangenting so much right now. So I want to bring <laughs> us back in because I know it is so late for you in Minneapolis, <laughs> and it is 9.30 here for me in Scottsdale. <laughs> But I just wanted to say thank you. I was so excited to share this with you, Shasta, but we have over 100 subscribers with our podcast, which is, I know probably sounds so small to people, but is so exciting. We have officially 86 people subscribed on Apple podcast and on Spotify, we have 32 people subscribed. So I know that like we are budding, but what we're only four episodes episodes in, in a niche community, like a very specific (laughs) tiny community. This is awesome. And to our delight also, that doesn't include other platform hosting like services like Mm -hmm. Stitcher or Google Podcast, but wherever you are tuning in from, it means so much to us to have you guys subscribe. So, and and it helps us out too. So if you Mm -hmm. like the content that we're giving out, go ahead and like give us a little follow, a little follow button. Yes. And also, if there's something that you want to hear from us, please let us know. Like both of our DMs are open. You can also submit any listener questions via our website at cultivatecourse.com. And stay tuned for episode two, where we come back and we wrap up this massive overview on the like laying the foundation for your business before we jump into deep dives on all of the individual topics mm-hmm. and share everything from our contracts, our finances, pricing, how to get legal, how to get your like sales tax ID, all that stuff. 
yeah, all of those like very, very big topics. And then even some like sprinkled fun topics along the way of like, what's next for both of us in our businesses, how we're doing motherhood and being an artist and a creative small business owner at the same time. And then Mm -hmm. also so many fun interviews to come. So we've got some good things like planned for the Cultivate pod. And does it just make your day when someone shares that they've been listening, like on Instagram, you get a little message with just a story share. That's like... That means a lot to us, you guys. We're so happy. That's why I always reshare them because I'm like, thank you. you. (laughs) I feel so encouraged that it's just more community building and more like being in your ears as you're addressing, you know, a a bajillion envelopes and you just want to feel encouraged. We're just, we're so excited. I was listening to Office Ladies. That's like my calligraphy, like addressing podcast podcast of choice because I feel like I'm watching TV. Right. And I don't know. And sometimes, sometimes I can feel a little repetitive. I will admit that. I mean, but we're like seven, like seven seasons deep into it at this Mm -hmm. point. What was the last one? Doomsday? Yeah, the last one was like when Dwight was like, had the doomsday like ticker Uh thing. Yeah, I was just listening to it. But I'd like to think that we're the same. (laughs) 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 They like talk, you know, and I'm like, oh, that's like Jenna and Angela. And I'm like, oh, that's so mean, Shasta. But then I'm like, okay, don't compliment yourself too much, Makayla. I'm like, you don't have a book tour quite yet. Calm down. Um, let's add to the list. Let's write a book. Totally, totally. Downs yeah, coming up like. next. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, after our All right, show. but <laughs> truly, thank you, everyone. I'll talk to you tomorrow, Shasta. Everybody else, stay tuned for part two. <laughs> Bye.